What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast. My name is Rob Dosser. I'm joined by my lovely, lovely co-host today, Monday, December 13th, the one and only John Fanta and Terrence Oglesby, the pride of, uh, can I call you the pride of Clemson University? Is that what you are now? Uh, I think Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence win that battle, but you know what? If you're willing to give it to me, I'm willing to take it. All right, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going <laughs> to and, and we're joined by Seton Hall's... Um, most famous alumni now these days? Are we getting to that point yet? Where are we at? Class of 2017. <laughs> Class of 2017. How about the Hall? How about Seton Hall University? They're one of the stories of college basketball. Is it 1989 or what? I am. I mean, South Orange is a buzzing, a buzzing right now. Did you guys see that crowd? Uh, well, you saw it in person, Rob, on Thursday. How about the crowd, though, on Sunday night for the Rutgers game? My goodness. Right now, uh, we're, we're watching a program that Kevin Willard has really built up over uh, his 12 years at the helm. It's a fan base that went through a period of misery, let's face it, before he got there. They had a lot of dark years. It's not an easy job. But there's a fan base that cares in New Jersey about college basketball. And with the way the football season's gone in that area, like this is a perfect storyline for that area of the country. And it's a, I'm shocked. I'm honestly shocked at the Seton Hall Pirates. I thought they'd be a, a good team. Rob, you said that this team had a chance to be really special and, and you called it. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at what they're doing. I think it's one of the stories of the sport. They are, they are a legit, legit ball club. Yeah, we have, we have a lot to talk about with Seton Hall in the Big East in general. Uh, after the week and the weekend that they have had. We also have to talk about Arizona going into Champaign and beating up on Illinois. We had a thriller down in Tuscaloosa between Alabama and Houston. Iowa State keeps on winning. And, of course, we're going to have to dive into what's going on with Purdue. But before we do all of that, we have a new number one team in college basketball, Terrence. Uh, that is your Baylor Bears after they whipped up on uh, Villanova. There were, there were some records set. That was the fewest points scored by a high major team. Um, that was ranked since I believe it was 1979. It was the fewest points that a Jay Wright Villanova team has ever scored. Uh, that was about as great of a defensive performance as you're ever going to see out of anyone what Baylor did to Villanova. The final score was a hideous 57 to 36. But once again, your reigning national champion, Baylor Bears, for the third consecutive season are ranked number one in the country. T.O., talk to me about these Bears. It was fun. I, I had to go to a parade. My daughter was in a, she's in a dance class. I had to go to a parade at three o'clock. So I didn't get to watch it as soon as I was there. But nonetheless, after the parade, we went to go eat. And I looked up at the score at this estate. We went to the Clemson SO Club. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's one of the staples in Clemson. So neither here nor there. I asked them to switch the game over and it was like 52 to 32 or something. I can't remember exactly. And I was like, man, Baylor must be shooting the heck out of it for it to be just at the end of the first half and already have 52 against Villanova. No, sir. No, sir. I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, guys, like especially on our uh, Saturday after dark show. I worried about Villanova's ability to hit shots over Baylor's length. And Fanta, you said they needed to hit 12 threes to compete. Uh, they didn't do that, that's for sure. And a lot of that is because around the perimeter, Baylor's just so good. And there was one possession in particular that stood out to me. Chris Archidiacono, who's a fine role player for them, comes off the bench. Matthew Meyer was guarding him, and he had was stuck in a help-to-helper situation to where he had to go over, 
off a pick and roll show and then get back to Archie Diakono. And he was still able to contest him at a high level. And that worried me about, about Villanova because one, they're small two Baylor's huge. And they're so athletic at that two, three, four, five positions. Like Akinjo's great, but those other four spots that they have, gosh, they're athletic. And they contested everything. And Archie Diakono, even though he got it off pretty quick, Meyer almost blocked it. That's how athletic this Baylor team is. And for a team that that will just won the national championship, to get more athletic and to share the ball even better, Scott Drew train stops for no one, guys. And it was really, really impressive. Yeah, T.O., you mentioned that Fanta said that uh, Villanova needed to make 12 threes. Well, they made 12 shots on the floor <laughs> in total. Yeah. That's not That ain't going to get it done against the reigning national champions. Fanta, uh, talk to me a little bit about these Bears. Well, I'll be Tony Reale, and I'll give you both a couple of points apiece on the buzzer. doesn't mean that you might not get muted before the end of the show, but I'm going to give Rob Doster points because he was higher on James Akinjo than everybody in the country, and James Akinjo played like an All-American on Sunday. He controlled the game. He made plays for others. He is tough. I mean, this is a kid that is really just tough, um, has a bond with Damian Lillard that goes back – Western kid that uh, kind of just just breeds that grittiness to his game, and he he busts his ass. He just hasn't been able to find the right setting. I think it's a direct credit to Scott Drew that he's found that setting at Baylor, um, and I think that Scott Drew benefits as much as anybody off the portal and was doing it before the immediate transfer rule went into effect. Mm-hmm. But I also think this, and this is where I give To a couple of points. Terrence said Baylor won the national championship and somehow got more athletic. That is true. And that's what's downright scary about this team. Jonathan Shamwa Chachua uh, and Jeremy Sohan combined for 16 points and 19 rebounds in this win. And that to me um, speaks volumes about the fact that this is a team that when you get into their bench, they are ju- there's no drop-off in defensive ability and there's zero drop-off in production. Who's going to beat Baylor? Who's going to beat that team? After what I'm watching right now, um, I think we all thought they'd be pretty good. Nobody thought that they would be number one in America. No, people did not think that going into this season. And I just think that they got the best culture in the sport, but I think that they've got pure athletes. And it just shows if you're connected defensively in the sport, why is Duke different this year? They're connected defensively. Why is Baylor number one right now? They're connected defensively. Would it surprise me right now if we saw a Duke-Baylor national championship game? Not at all. Not at all. And I, I, that's the matchup that now I want to see just with the sheer way that they guard. But points to both of you, you know, Kansas had that long reign in the Big 12 where they won 12 straight conference championships or 13 in a row. That reign not only had the one-off year, that reign's over. That reign's over, and and it was a great reign. It's one of the great reigns of all time. But Baylor is not some one-, two-, or three-year thing. They are going to be very, very good. They're going to be at this level for a long time. The Baylor Bears – by the end of this season, if they aren't already, will be viewed as the 2020s blue blood in college basketball. I like that take. Um, I, I've, I'm going to give myself some points here, Fanta. I know I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but I, I've been kind of banging <laughs> the drum of Baylor being uh, potentially the best team in the country for I, I want to say a couple of weeks now because of the way that the roster is built, right? They have three really, really good guards. They have three really, really good athletic wings that understand their role. And they have two big guys that can go out there and do the job. Um, I do wonder though, just how much of this was a result of the matchup. Um, because I, I mean, we've been talking about this for, from Villanova for dating all the way back to uh, the preseason in that, they're, they're kind of limited in what they are offensively, right? They, they lost their best player last season, and they were kind of like a three, four seed kind of a team last year. Uh, I don't know 
where the pros are on this Villanova roster. I don't know who here you can kind of point to and definitively say, okay, that guy's an NBA player. When they were at their best, they had five, six NBA players on that rope where you could look at them and say, Dante DiVincenzo, he is a pro. Mikhail Bridges, he is a lottery pick. Eric Pascal, he is an NBA player. Ryan Archidiakono, Jalen Brunson, those guys are NBA players. They don't have that on this team. And the result is that so much of what they do offensively is built on kind of winning matchups. Like they don't, they don't run sets, right? They run ball screens. They do a lot of isolation stuff. And the whole idea is they want to be able to get that first action to get a paint touch, come to a jump stop, draw a help defender, kick it out, and then attack a closeout, drive, draw, kick, drive, draw, kick. And it's just like, that's kind of what their offense is. And when you don't have that first person that can break you down and get that paint touch and collapse the defense, they don't have great kind of post-up guards. It just, it felt like to me that this was, look, Baylor's awesome, right? They're deservedly the number one team in the country right now. Um, I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but I feel like this, this performance and the way that it looked, especially from the Villanova side, has as much to do with what Villanova is in this specific matchup than the fact that I think Baylor is like a complete juggernaut that's head and head and shoulders above everybody else in college basketball. Does that make sense? I, I don't think there's a team. I don't think there's a team that's downright the best team in college basketball right now. Yes. I think right now I, I'm, I, I tweeted this out the other day. Like I legitimately have watched six or seven different teams this year and thought in my mind, this is the best team in college basketball. Because it just depended on the day. Like earlier this season, we were thinking, good gosh, who beats Gonzaga after they beat the brakes off of Texas? And then Duke goes and beats Gonzaga. And we're like, oh, my gosh, who beats Duke? And then Purdue goes on a run where they have these two monsters inside and Jade Nivey's dunking on everybody and their mother. And then you're like, gosh, Baylor's or, or, or Purdue's the best team. And then Baylor has this performance and they and they go and win a battle for Atlantis, too. And you're just like, oh, good gosh, who beats them? And then Alabama squeaks one out like their guards are unbelievable. Who's going to stop them? Like the, the parody at the top this year in college basketball is awesome. But I will say this. Villanova's not going to win the Big East. It's just not going to happen. Like this team is like that. The top 10 ranking, like my high school coach used to say it all the time. Proof's in the pudding, boys. Proof's in the pudding. And they've had opportunities to play against high level competition. They've lost every single one of those. Except I, know, for one. I, I agree with you there because the two, the next two best teams in the Big East, the two teams that are going to be competing with them for those top honors uh, are two teams that kind of can overwhelm you defensively with their athleticism, the, the way that, that Baylor does in UConn yep. and Seton Hall. So um, I, I am, I think that this is the year that we can try to, uh, that we can expect somebody to kind of take down the like, This is just not the Villanova team that we're accustomed to. It's going to be it's going to be Kevin Willard winning the Big East and then going and eating crab cakes for the next however long in Maryland. That's what's going to happen. You mispronounced you mispronounced Dan Hurley. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I know exactly what I said. Here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> said no, I didn't. <laughs> Look, nobody in the Big East was going to beat Baylor yesterday, and nobody in the country was going to beat Baylor yesterday. That's how well they played. So mm. uh, I think I have a couple thoughts on your points. Number one. College basketball is the best. The best. It's the best. Um, Everybody loves the NFL, especially this year, because there's not a clear-cut number one team, and we don't know who's going to hoist the Lombardi Trophy, although we have some ideas of it. The fact is we've never seen Mac Jones play a playoff game, so we have to see that happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, look, the, the Buccaneers show a sign some weeks where they're great, some weeks where they're not. The point is, People love the NFL because it, it's expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. The closest thing in sports, the closest thing in sports from a parody standpoint, from an expect the unexpected standpoint, is college basketball. And college basketball just completed its first month of the season. And in the first month, it has provided more dramatic events and more head-turning results and more who actually is the top four, who are the top eight teams than college football ever does throughout a full season. And yes, it is. It is a knock on college football. The fact of the matter is this. You have a sport with this much parity. It's not – this is an extra special season, 
But this typically exists. This typically exists. We thought this would be the best season in several years. But, folks, this isn't going anywhere. The low and mid-majors, especially the mid-majors, and even the programs that you don't think about with the big brand names, can beat the big brand name now because the sport is totally different. Mm -hmm. It's free agency during the summer. It's this pick up here, this pick up there. There are legitimately eight teams, if not 10 or 12 teams, that I could see hoisting a national championship trophy at the end of this road. That is a beautiful thing. In terms of Villanova, what is tough for Villanova is that they expected their supporting cast to take a substantial leap because that is what Jay Wright has bred throughout the last decade. That has not happened. That has not happened. Jermaine Samuels, for whatever reason, is way off right now from the field. He just can't hit. Justin Moore doesn't look like all that different of a player. Brandon Slater looks better in spurts, but not consistent. Colin Gillespie is getting a lot of blame, you know, from people. And I'm here to say, like, Colin Gillespie didn't just change, but Colin Gillespie also wasn't, he, he wasn't beating James Akinjo yesterday. And folks, not to make excuses, but let's be frank, the guy's coming off a bad ACL injury, a bad injury, an ugly injury. And I don't know if he's the same guy as he was before that injury last season. In fact, he, he probably is not. This team doesn't have an interior presence. That's problematic. Um, But the supporting cast just isn't there to back up the point guard play right now at the elite level. Am I ready to say that Villanova is not going to win the Big East? I am not ready to say that because I've gone into conference play covering this league sometimes, and I thought to myself, I don't know. I don't think that they're going to win it, and then they prove us wrong. The one thing about Nova is this. They've lost to three terrific teams, UCLA, Purdue, and Baylor. What does, what you have to say is they just don't really and slip they, they could have won. They could have won two of those games, Fancher. They were up by, I think it was 11 uh, on Purdue with like eight, eight minutes left, and they were up by 10 on UCLA on the road with, I believe it was seven minutes. They, they could have won both of those. Uh, they could have won games. both those games. They could have won both those games. I mean, UConn uh, – it's hard to fully judge them. And, and I thought they had a really nice bounce back against St. Bonaventure. They're still, still were shorthanded. They should have beat West Virginia. If you want to say that UConn will beat Villanova out for the big East title, I could see that. But, but, and if you want to say Seton Hall, I could see that too. The one thing about winning your league in the regular season is you have to go through that whole gauntlet. You can't have two or three major slip-ups where you lose to, a, a bottom feeder in your league and you have that off day. The regular season champion doesn't do that. Villanova is so clinical because they never do that. They never lose to a bottom feeder. It never happens. Yeah. So but at the, big, the same time, sorry, go ahead. I don't, I, the big East is going to have a real race and I understand the matchup, the matchup with Connecticut and Seton hall is tough for Villanova. It might be t- difficult, but there's a difference between how you match up versus a team and how you go about your entire league play. Yeah, and, and you were talking about the depth of Villanova. One, they're small. Two, they're not very deep. Seton Hall's deep. They're huge. And they're not a great shooting team, but they're good enough. Like, I just – after watching Seton Hall these past few weeks, like, that's a team, man, tough as nails. Like, well, I, I feel like I use that analogy all the time. Tough as nails. They fr- really freaking guard – and they've got a lot. They got a pro in Jared Roden, and they've got Bryce Aiken, who is a phenomenal chase of pace guy. And if he's healthy, Seton Hall wins the Big East. If he ends up getting hurt, which we all know is extremely possible, just off of his recent history, then they're going to have a hard time because then they don't have anybody to mix it up. But I think like that Seton Hall team, those two wins over Texas and a dominant. It, it seemed like a dominant performance over Rutgers. Like I understand Rutgers, they are what they are. But yeah. I, I saw them in per- person and know they're tough. And then F- Seton Hall even out toughed them. Like I just, it, it was a fun, it was a fun game to watch. It's a three horse race. And by the way, by the way, we can't forget. And Rob, I'll toss this back to you. Like, like one one thing I'll say here is when Connecticut has Tyrese Martin and Adama Sonogo, and as as uh, Jordan Hawkins continues to get better, mm. like one thing I will sit here and say is I would I would say that the Connecticut Auburn game 
when Connecticut hits their best level, their best, their best is probably best in the Big East They're, when they play their best game. And that doesn't always happen. Their offense is limited at times. So that the, the fact is that we were going to save this for later. This league is really interesting this season. And we did not think that. We did not think that going in. But for they're going to they're gonna get a lot of bids to the tournament. They're going to get more bids than people realize. They have done very, very well in non-conference play. And this weekend, this weekend was enormous, seven. right? See, I, I think seven is a very real possibility. I mean, think about what they did this weekend. Creighton beat number twenty-four BYU. Uh, UConn beat St. Bonaventure. Yeah. Um, Georgetown beat Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, we had Cincinnati beating up on, or I'm sorry, Xavier beating up on Cincinnati. Yep. You had uh, Seton Hall's wins over Texas and Rutgers. Yep. Uh, you had DePaul going into Louisville and beating up on the Cardinals. Like It was a very, very good weekend for the Big East. They are going to have great computer numbers. The bottom of the conference is not going to be what it was. Uh, yep. Things like Marquette beating Illinois is going to look fantastic come Selection Sunday. Things like uh, Providence winning at Wisconsin is going to look fantastic on Selection Sunday. They have done everything that you need to do in the non-conference to be able to stack up the bids. And uh, look, that's great for this podcast, especially for a uh, noted Big East guy, Terrence Oglesby. Um, all right, you. you did mention Fanta. Uh, you did mention earlier about how there's been so many surprising results in college basketball this season. And I think one of the most surprising, at least for me, was after – being ranked number one for the first time in program history, Purdue went out and lost a, a, just an absolutely thrilling game, uh, an incredible finish um, against Rutgers. And then they struggled, and they very nearly lost their next game on Sunday afternoon, uh, neutral site against an NC State team that actually I kind of think is is pretty good, but um, but that's neither here nor there. Purdue, if you're the number one team in the country, you probably shouldn't be playing that kind of a game against those kind of teams. So, uh, T, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Um, are, how concerned are you about Purdue right now? And I, I kind of have a theory. I'll get into it after you guys go ahead here. But I think that both of those teams exposed some pretty significant flaws in this Purdue program. Well, we, we, we say it all the time. Style makes the fight. And if you look at what Rutgers likes to do, get up and pressure guards and things like that and make it difficult to enter your offense, that's exactly what NC State does too. They're going to get up, they're going to pressure you, they're going to be a little nasty, and they're going to make it hard to have ball reversal. But this whole notion of uh, Purdue not having a point guard, I think there was a little bit of a hangover effect from the rack because the rack is awesome. I was there. It is an awesome place. Is Rutgers good? Not really. But their home court advantage is still really good. So I, I, the style makes the fight portion is significant to me. This whole notion of point guard play, I almost feel like Travion Williams is their point guard in an ass-backwards kind of way. Does that make sense? Like, whenever they throw it in, they run all the offense that way. It's just a matter of if Purdue can get the ball past half court because that's when they that's the only time they've struggled. Once they get it past half court, they're the number one offense in the country, according to Kim Palm. Like, yeah. but a yeah. lot of that, a lot of that has some of last season stuff still factored in. The, the biggest, my my biggest thing is, um, when they, when you're able to pressure them defensively, and you can take them out of running their stuff, so much of what they do offensively comes out of the sets that make Matt, Matt Painter has drawn up. Right, like they they scheme a lot of their shots, whether it's finding a way to get Stefanovic running off of a, a double screen, finding a way to get him into those like dribble hand where he's curling off Trevion Williams for a dribble handoff, uh, finding a way to get Zach Eady, um a deep post touch and a seal in front of the rim. So he just has to turn around and shoot. And when you can get out there and really pressure their ball handlers, you can make it so they have to start running their offense 40 feet away from the basket yep. instead of 22 feet away from the basket. And that right there kind of eliminates what they can do because they don't look as, as Eric Hunter does some good things on the floor. Uh, Brandon Newman does some good things on a basketball court. Isaiah Thompson does some good things on a basketball court. None of those guys are are great point guards at this level that are going to be able to just kind of back you down and get the ball where it needs to go to be able to initiate offense. Jaden Ivey, he's not that guy either. Like he's a game-breaking player, but he's not someone that's going to sit there, dribble the ball, settle everyone down, and run your offense 25 feet away from the rim. So if you can get out and pressure them, you could take them out of what they want to do. And they're still trying to figure out how they can get buckets 
when it's not coming out of stuff that's manufactured. And I'll tell you this, I think they figure some shit out against, against NC state because they started just giving the rock to Trevion and saying, all right, we're going to run some back doors. We're going to let you post up and have cutters run off of you. We're going to use you as kind of like the, I love the sets that they ran where they curl Stefanovic off of him and, and just basically dribble handoff uh, and let, let Stefanovic shoot coming off of it. Um, I thought that they were able to get Jaden Ivey going a little bit in transition and creating some stuff for him. I mean, that to me is the big thing with this Purdue team. How are you going to be able to score when teams take you out of what you want to run? And I think that they'll get there. I don't think that – like, I'm not I'm not off of them at all mm. at, at this point. I still think that they're very much uh, one of the top one, two, three, however you want to rank them. They're, they're in that number one tier when it comes to teams in college basketball this season, mostly just because I trust Matt Painter to be able to figure it out. Fanta, what's your take on, on Purdue? Yeah, I'm still very much in on this team. Um, I wonder, though, about what you're bringing up with the – like yesterday, they only hit five three-pointers in that game, and we've been saying that that'll never really be a flaw, and I thought that it got exposed a little bit. I thought they woke up mentally late in the game. You know, Matt Painter called a timeout, and he just ripped into it. He really did. And you also it – it was in this game against NC State in which the questions that we had been asking earlier in the season, like, well, it's great that Travion Williams has made a sacrifice and is willing to come off the bench, but, damn, he's still Travion Williams, and – they're going to need him to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Well, look, you got to play through this guy. Um, mm. it, it, Zach Eady's talented and a unicorn. and But Travion Williams, to me, means more to Purdue. He's the heart and soul of the team. Like, he really is. He is the heart and soul of that team. And to be at his size, his girth, but also his ability to play make, um, I, I think that, that it really it offers such a different dimension to them. And, again, like, I don't know. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because I still think that Jaden Ivey can make plays for himself. I thought that he was assertive down the stretch yesterday, and that's why it's starting to come out. Are you are you sitting here and saying that when teams take away their sets, that Ivey's not good enough to overcome that and be that type of a player? Well, here's my thing. Here, here's my thing. Can I can I answer that? Like, I just feel like Jaden Ivey. Like when teams pressure you, pressure you, pressure you, I think he's gotten into a mode, and I can see this because I had this trouble too whenever I first went to Europe and I had to run some point. They were like, well, we're going to pressure him, we're going to pressure him. And then instead of just saying to hell with it and going, like I was still trying to set stuff up, and it makes it difficult because then you're still trying to do what paint wants and all that. Eventually Uh, they're coming. Ah, very interesting. So that was what I was going to get to. Yeah. What's the dynamic of coach – wanting to do his stuff, which Painter's stuff is great. Nobody's yep. saying that. Versus kind of letting Jaden Ivey be Jaden Ivey. That's right. And there's a there's a point where you're getting pressured enough where your best answer is just to let him go. Now, once he gets past that initial def- defense, he's got to make the right decision. But, I mean, that's kind of where everything ticks in. But he's such a good athlete, he should never be pressured. So that's what kind of throws me off about the whole thing, about this point guard thing, like, Okay, fine. They're pressuring him. They're going to run great stuff, sure. But like, if they get up on his body, why in the world is he just not going and ducking on everybody? They've got shooters around. They can't overhelp. They can't overhelp against Travion because he's so good. He's so good in there. Like it's. Um, I, I don't think this is a problem that's going to persist. No, let's put it I, that way. I'm, I'm with you as well. They're going to find a way to figure it out, which is why I'm still on Purdue as elite. The, the issue from from talking with Painter, I, I was able to speak with him at the the event of Mohegan Sun is that like Jaden Ivey is just a little bit, he's still kind of figuring out how to make those right decisions, right? Like he can get by his guy, but it's what happens when that extra defender comes, what happens uh, like when you get in the lane, you draw a defender, like how do you find a way to finish without getting the ball stripped from you? Uh, are you making the right pass? And you, are you reading where the right help side defender is coming from? Are you figuring out who's going to be open? It, it's a little like the first time that you get, let's just say the first time you, you buy like a sports car or something like that and you take it on the, on the highway, it's a little bit different than driving like a sedan, right? That's kind of what it is with, uh, with Jaden Ivey right now. He's still kind of figuring out how to harness all of that ability that he has. And I think that he'll get there. I mean, he's going to learn. He's going to hear it from Painter over and over and over and over and over again. So I don't doubt that he'll get there. He's just not, he's not quite there. Like there were a couple times on the stretch of that game in overtime when you saw him 
especially in transition, kind of get to the basket and look like he was about to have a layup, but it gets stripped from him. Or he's going one on three and he travels. Or the play at the end of the Purdue game where he gets trapped and instead of calling a timeout or passing it out, he tries to split that double team um, and ends up turning the ball over, which kind of set up the uh, the the end of game possessions there. So what you're telling me is Jaden Ivey doesn't know how to drive a stick yet. <laughs> like he can't. Like you're talking about a Ferrari on the highway. Like he can't control his RPMs. Yeah, like he has unlimited power to get wherever he wants, but when he gets there, he doesn't have the ability to slow down. That's why, and it's a perfect way of saying this problem's not going to persist because as soon as he learns to gauge all that stuff, they're going to be deadly because then you can't pressure him. Yep, he's. I like that, Dolster. I like that. I have no doubt that he's going to end up getting there, which is why I'm still on Purdue as one of like the one, two, three, four, whatever, whatever tier, however big that first tier is. Purdue is a part of that tier. You know who else is a part of that tier? Fanta? Arizona. There's no doubt in my mind. The fact that they're, what are they, ranked eighth right now? Yep. That is yeah. that is laughable to me. They went into Champaign and beat up on an Illinois team uh, that is starting to actually play pretty well. Um, I think, I, I feel comfortable saying Illinois is a top 20 team in college basketball right now with a chance to be a top 10 team. Um, if everything goes right with Andre Corbello and if they come back. So talk to me about these Wildcats, man, because Tommy Lloyd, it's it's amazing to me how quickly Tommy Lloyd transformed that roster into the team that he envisions and the team that he wants, because they're there. That's a Tommy Lloyd basketball team. Well, they they beat Illinois in Champaign on a day that Illinois hit 16 three-pointers. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is exceptional stuff. You know, I just look at this team. They have professionals on their on their team, guys that have played pro ball overseas. I thought that Nick Ba uh, for Fox, along with Tim Brando, I thought the telecast was really good. And Nick said this. He goes, you have decision-making players on your team, not one, not two, like four at a time, that have played with grown men overseas and are now translating this to the college game. They're a step ahead. Arizona is a step ahead right now, especially with the basketball. They manage the ball well. Uh, Kerr Kreese is someone that I, I just think is is only getting started. I, I think he's someone that's going to keep growing. And as he goes, they're going to go. Like He determines their full ceiling because you know what you're going to get from Ben Matherin, and you know what you're going to get from Tubelis as well. The, the length that this team has, we knew about that. But, guys, for me, to go into a hostile atmosphere and to manage the game down the stretch the way they did and find a way to gut that out, it's a massive step. Road wins in this sport early in the season are so telling of who you can be in March. And for Arizona, that was a massive victory. Sean Miller left Tommy Lloyd with talent. But Tommy Lloyd has gotten a ton out of it and has adapted it and made this group one to five be so incredibly versatile. Arizona is as versatile a team in college basketball right now. They can skin a cat in different ways. I I love that you could leave Christian Coloco alone because what ended up happening was after they hit about, you said they hit 17 threes. I have the stats right here. They ended up hitting 16 threes after about 14 of them. Lloyd was like, you know what, Christian Coloco, you're on your own. If you get beat up a little bit and you foul a couple times, that's fine, but we're going to hand you all this responsibility. And what did he do? Held Kofi Coburn to 5 of 15. Yep. How many people have been able to do that throughout the course of the year? Coloco, what does he have, seven, 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 eight wingspan? Like, he's, he's huge. And I thought he did a really, really good job whenever they started to uh, figure out Illinois defensively. But one thing that stood out to me more than anything else about this Arizona team you know, I feel like I'm, I'm referring back to, to Goodman saying point guard play all the time. Kirk Creesa, he, he wasn't great in the first half. He turned it on in the second half when Illinois started doing drop coverage. I think that's because that allowed him to get some breathing room and a head of steam. How good are they going to be whenever they are pressured and some of the passing lanes are denied? But I feel like this Arizona team is so big and physical around the perimeter they look like a team that'll end up in the Elite Eight or the Final Four. 
because of their sheer size and ability with that size to play that physical brand of basketball on the perimeter that is allowed more so in the NCAA tournament than it is during conference play. I love this team. I, I Benedict Mathurin, guys, like a he, fan. Stud, dude. He, a fan, dude. Like this guy. A lottery pick. I, I okay, think the lottery pick. Yeah, unbelievable. That that transition catch and shoot three where he is so strong in his lower body to where he can just catch it, go straight up. And, and, and th- this team typically, and I, and I say typically, and I almost feel guilty for saying this, you've got, you, you've got one American-grown kid in the starting lineup in Dallas Terry. The rest of the time, you'll get a bunch of solid defensive players. There is an edge to the other four, too. Kirk Creesa, he's got some shit to him. Mathurin, that dude's tough. Uh, Azulis Tabela, Debellis, good gosh, like much <laughs> yeah. more athletic than I think people give credit for. I had trouble with that name the other day too. Azulis Tabellis. I just, and, I just want to know when you were playing overseas, if people looked at you and like this Oglesby guy. <laughs> I had to, I had to like correct it a couple times when I was playing in Russia and Georgia because the alphabet. So like we had to like sit and have ten minute conversations over how to pronounce it. But that's neither, that's neither here nor there. Parents Oglesby. Oglesby. Oh, is it oh is it Oglesby or Ogol? It was a big thing. It, it was a big thing. So uh but I mean a bunch of tough dudes. I love it. Oglesby. 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 Yeah, it was a mess. I was 20 years old signing in Ukraine. You want to hear stories? I got stories. But but having those guys big around the perimeter with all that athleticism and they play with such an edge, like what a what a team. What a team. I, I really I want I want to hammer home on that point about the size though. Kirk Creesa may not look it, but he th- there goes T.O. He's gone. Kirk Creesa is six foot three, right? Uh Benedict Mathurin is six six with a long wingspan. Dallin Terry is six seven, and I swear it looks like his wingspan is eight feet. Yep. Uh, Christian Coloco, as you mentioned, is like a seven foot seven wingspan around the rim. He's a seven foot one dude. Azulis Jubelis is six eleven. And yep. you think about those those guys two through four is they can be switchable if you need them to. Like, Dallin Terry can, can hold his own in the post, block a shot if you need him to, can switch out into a point guard, guard him there. Azulis Tubelis can guard out on the perimeter a little bit. Like, he's not a total stiff like you would expect a lot of these Euro guys to be. Like dude, they- watch watch Azulis Tubelis run the floor and seal. Yes. Like, dude, he runs like EJ Liddell runs. Like, because for some reason, I was watching EJ Liddell clips, and then right after that, I was watching Azulis Tubelis. Good Shit. But like, like being able to watch those guys back to back, I mean, they ran very similar. He's not quite as fast, but good gosh, how good. How, I mean, that is, much more athletic than I think people give him credit for. Arizona is a very, very good team. Fanta, I know you got another point and then we can move on to uh, we got other games we got to talk about. So what do you got on Arizona? Sorry. <laughs> how great this is for the sport. Um, I, this is a mm-hmm. big time. It's been a while. Uh, they, they had gone through an ugly period of time. But the ability to attract high-level talent uh, has never left Tucson. That's a that's a really good fan base. They're going to have that place buzzing uh, when when they get into the Pac-12. And I think that for the Pac-12 conference, they have one of the marquee league games in the country this season when Arizona and UCLA meet. And that's really good for, for the Pac-12. And I also think this, if I'm in the Turner Sports or NCAA offices, I'm encouraged by the idea of, again, remember last year we had a bunch of teams west of the Mississippi make the, the Final Four. But it wasn't the same. It, it didn't have the same impact nationally because people weren't able to, we weren't able to fill the building. Right. It would be really interesting this year. Like you're looking at a Final Four where you are, you could have some major, major brands at the Final Four this season. And I think that it's really good for college basketball that we have some teams out West that are performing at this level and could get to this level. It's, it's something that, not to give the comparison, but I will, college football has been missing for such a long time. There's just not a, there's not enough compelling action out West. So look, I, 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 Talked up the Pac-12 in the preseason. They've disappointed in the middle and the bottom, but they still have two teams that could reach a Final Four. Three. Three. USC. USC yeah. is very, very good. Yeah, that would shock me. I wonder, how much, I wonder how much of uh, these issues at Memphis could be solved if, uh, if, if 
Boogie Ellis was still uh, at that program instead of um, with USC. But that's a different conversation for a different day because we still need to go down to Tuscaloosa and talk a little bit about Alabama and Houston, which uh, that was that was a that was a classic, man. That was we we might have gotten two of the two of the five best non-conference games of the season on Saturday between Arizona, Illinois and uh, Alabama and Houston. So, Tio, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Was it a goaltend? Yeah, it was a goaltend. It was? Yeah. I have, it, the, and you text us in our group chat during the show when it happened. It wasn't going to go in. Well, it doesn't matter if it's still over the cylinder. It doesn't matter if it's going to go in or not. If the ball is in that cylinder above, and it doesn't have to be a whole lot of the ball, it has to be very little, and they go up there and they block it away, it's considered a goaltend, and it was on the way down. Uh, it should have been reviewed. They what what should have happened is they should have blown the whistle and figured it out before time expires. The problem with what happened is that they let time expire, and then you can't retroactively go back into a game and change a call. Just can't do it. So if they blow the whistle and there's still time on the clock, it would have been reviewable, right? Well, the the issue was that there was no call. You can if you call a goaltend, you can review whether or not it was a goaltend. If you yes. don't call a goaltend, you cannot go back and review whether or not it was a goaltend. So they didn't call a goaltend. Now, I will say this. By rule, you are 100% correct. That probably should have been a goaltend. It was a, yeah. it was a tip that was still above the rim. That ball had no chance of going in. You can look at it from every different angle that you want. It was going to bounce off of the side of the rim and go off. Uh, it was probably a very, very dumb play by J.D. Davidson to even touch that ball when it was anywhere mm-hmm. near the rim. But I don't think that uh what he did not change the outcome of the game by swatting that shot away um so like it probably should have been called kelvin sampson has every right in the world to be pissed off uh i i maybe don't kick the chairs like kellen did uh after the game that was probably not the greatest he apologized did he yeah there was a there was a (laughs) a houston player that flipped over a trash can and then another houston player went and picked it up um picked up the mess but uh, i don't think that I, if, if the game played out without anybody touching that ball, I don't think that Houston would have won the game. That, that's all that I'm trying to say. So maybe it's like a, a ball don't lie kind of, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, that said, let's just talk about how good both of these teams are because I think we were looking at two Final Four teams there. When it comes down to a situation where you have two teams that played that well uh, and it comes down to one call like that, I think it, I feel very comfortable saying that you you just watched two teams that can make a Final Four fans. Oh, yeah, you, you did. And, and this the whole podcast today has been about teams that could feasibly make a Final Four. It's loaded. I mean, they're, they're, it's like a deli line in Manhattan right now. Take a number and tell us your case. Tell us what you want. Um, I'd go with the roast beef and Swiss. I'll tell you what. Um, no, I see, I'm not a roast beef guy. I'm not a okay. roast beef guy. I don't understand. Like, I'm a big, I'm a big, like, Italian, Italian sandwich guy. Well, so am I. But fi- if you're going to make the final four, you better like some red meat. Well, yeah, I mean that's what that's what's on an Italian sandwich. I just why do you, <laughs> why do you have to like right red meat in order to to yeah. be a final four contender? Yeah, because we're not taking chicken or salmon to the final four. You better like your red meat, baby. <laughs> okay, touche. There you go. I mean, when we're in New Orleans, the field of sixty-eight dinners are featuring red meat. We're not eating <laughs> chicken tenders and French fries. Yeah, and a $15 bottle of a uh, $15 box of wine, <laughs> apparently. First of all, first of all, I think I said 30. Didn't I say 30? What did I say? Ah, well, I, I can't remember exactly. Either, either way, either way, Fanna, here's the definitive best sandwich on the entire plane. I'm going to give it to you right now. My all hometown right. deli still calls this the Rob Special. Okay. You got a nice fried breaded chicken cutlet, right? On yeah. Bottom, you got you, you need a sub, right? On the bottom of the sub, you got to put some mayo down there. Then you put a little bit of like the shredded lettuce on top of the mayo. Then you get that nice, fresh, piping hot chicken cutlet and throw it right on top of that bed of lettuce. You got to make sure you have a little bit of cheese on there. You got to get the cheese on, preferably cheddar, sharp cheddar. You got to get it on there while the chicken cutlet is still hot so that you put it down and it starts melting right away, right there. Then you got to make sure you got to get a little bit of bacon on top of that. Yes. You got to get some of the hot peppers on there too, right? And then you top all of that off with a nice little layer a barbecue sauce. Put the other bread on top of it. Curveball. Nice. Great sandwich. Look, yeah, this you have a nice, if you have a nice, fresh, warm, uh straight out the oven bun or uh straight out the oven um yeah, yeah, yeah. Roll. Up, 
Nice hoagie roll right there. Give it, a nice little, give it a nice little uh, panini push on the top to get that bread kind of like a manageable bite size. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Shout, out to, shout out to Milburn Deli in, uh, in Milburn, New Jersey. They got the best Godfather sandwich, which is a lot like the sandwich you just listed. Okay. Um, enough sandwich talk. Jawan Roberts for Houston. He had 13 rebounds in this game. I, I love how hard he plays. And you just look at Houston from top to bottom. We knew that Sasser was a great player. Marcus Sasser is one of the best players in college basketball. Um, and he doesn't get discussed enough because he plays for Houston and he plays in the American. I mean, that's, that's just the reality of the situation. But he's one of the best players in college basketball. If you look at what they did, what they did against Alabama, who out-physicaled, out-accelerated Gonzaga, I learned more about Houston in this game than I learned about Alabama. And Houston lost by a point. I really did. I knew Alabama was really, really good. I got, we all knew that. They are. They're a great basketball team. Um, and they showed again. They were at home. They should beat Houston. They won that game. Javon Quinterly continues to be outstanding. That wasn't a revelation. He fits Alabama perfectly, and Nate Oates has done a terrific job uh, coaching him up. And look, for, for Alabama, that's a team that has not had any drop-off between uh, Betty Ako and Gary. They're defensively, no drop-off, which is saying a lot. But to me, like, I wanted to see Houston in this atmosphere, in this level of a game. And the Cougars are back to where they were at that level, fully capable of getting back to the Final Four. They don't always play pretty, but, they, man, they, they could take a punch. And I learned that in this game. They could take a punch, and they'll punch right back. High-level college basketball game. Alabama deserved to win the game. They did, so I agree with the ball-don't-lie aspect of that. But I learned a lot about Houston in this game. I, w- I was not that familiar with who they are. I like their role players. I like their physicality. I think Kelvin Sampson has done a terrific job with that program. Yep. Uh, Houston is going to be a team that is probably going to end up being pretty underseeded when it comes to the tournament. If you look at their schedule right now, they play Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, Wichita State twice. Uh, I'm sorry, they got Cincinnati twice. They get Memphis. They they don't really play anybody. They're not going to have any marquee wins. But they are a two-point loss to Wisconsin and a one-point loss to Alabama that arguably they should have won if a call had gone the right way for them away from being undefeated right now. So that's going to be a team that probably ends up on that like four, five, six line that you might want to take a long look at as a a team that can make a run. Uh, TL, real quick before we move on to other stuff in the SEC, I just want to ask you this. I feel like Alabama is a little bit easy to game plan for if you can execute it correctly. If you stay home on shooters, you play drop coverage and just basically dare them say, all right, we're going to find a way to stop your ball screens two on two. Right. You get back in transition. You don't go to the offensive glass um, and you just say we're going to stay home and shooters and play your ball screens two on two and hope that we can do a good enough job to stop them. Um, I feel like you can have a chance to beat them. Then we saw Iona do it uh, in the whatever event that they were playing in. Uh, Houston did a pretty good job with it on uh, on Saturday night. Um, I feel like Alabama should be easy to stop, but they're not easy to stop. They keep lighting people up. What, what, what's your takeaway on this team? They're so fast, and they have so many guys that can break you down. That's the thing that scares me when it comes to like, oh, well, we can game plan. Don't send anybody. Everybody get back. Well, that's great in theory until your worst defender is guarding J.D. Davidson because of all the guards in there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's your issue is their depth their, their, their depth at guard. And, guys, I thought Juwan Gary was a defensive piece. I thought that's all he was going to be. I thought Noah Gurley was going to come in and play a lot of minutes. He's developed his offensive game. He wasn't always that. If he if he's serviceable on offense, they could be really good. And the guy that surprised me as well is Charles Bediaco. Yep. Like this is a kid that has embraced the fact that, hey, man, my stats aren't going to look pretty, but I'm going to do all those other things. Like they're so good at guard and they're so fast in how they play that even on makes, they're hard to match up with because that ball gets in there so fast. And whenever you have four guys at a time, sometimes three, sometimes four guys at a time that can use the ball screen or create on their own, you can game plan all you want. You can play drop coverage all you want, but you're still going to be able to get those guys out in space because they have so many players there. And that's going to be the biggest problem for anybody playing against them. Iona benefited a little bit because they were smaller, but at the same time, like 
how many people are is Alabama going to run into that can actually match up with that? Like, especially the way Quinterly is playing right now. All right, so let me ask you guys this: um, Arkansas took a beating on Saturday from Oklahoma. Musk got ejected in one of the more entertaining uh, ejections that we've seen this season. He lost his mind. He had to warm up the Musk bus a little bit early. Um, Tennessee has has they they've not looked great. Um, They've had that loss to Texas Tech at the uh, the well, the Jimmy V Classic, which was a, a horrid game. We've seen Florida come back to earth a little bit in recent days. They just lost on Sunday to Maryland, and Kentucky just went on the road and lost a very winnable game uh, that that Fanta was uh, very unhappy with. Um, well, I just and, and by the way, I, Kentucky still ranked. I mean, their best win is Ohio. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I was, was going to ask you guys. So is is Alabama now the 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 front runner in the SEC is is is, is it Alabama, LSU, and Auburn competing for this SEC title? Like, what is, what is going on in this conference? Well, I think that this league is good. Um, I don't think that it, I don't think that it has a national championship team. I didn't think that before the season. I told you guys that there's a difference. Yep. There's a difference between depth and being the best. And the SEC is deep. They're going to beat each other up. They're going to get six or seven teams into the NCAA tournament. Uh, and the legal benefit off that. I think they'll get more than that. I think they'll get more than that. I think it's. I think it's going to be seven minimum. Yeah, I mean, okay, so okay, so maybe they'll get eight or nine teams into the NCAA tournament. You know, look, I, I think it's a very, very good league. Um, I think that Alabama's the best team in the conference and has shown it. They've proven it. Kentucky's got to figure stuff out. Um, they. Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington, there's just not, they're not meshing. They're not meshing. And it just feels like Kentucky offensively is stuck. They're, they're stuck in like 2015. Um, they, they're they're not, stuck in 2005, man. Like I just, I can't, I can't pick watching them play. I, I, I hate watching them play. All of these really bad mid-range jumpers, Keon Brooks settling for stuff he shouldn't be settling for. A point guard, like this team was supposed to be able to shoot, but they have a point guard where you could just put your, your best defender on them, put them in the paint and let them play free safety because Severe Wheeler is not a threat outside of the paint. Uh, Kellen Grady has not been the guy I thought he was going to end up being. You have Oscar Sheeway playing as basically the best guy, best big, big guy, college basketball right now, putting up ridiculous numbers, and you can't find a way to win games at Notre Dame who just got their asses kicked by Boston College. Like, what do – what are we doing here, man? Like, I, they're a player away. They're a player away. They're a creative. They, they're a pl- they really creative guard away. Are they really that? Are they really? I mean, I, I just I don't know. Why can't currently constructed? Why can't they beat teams? Because they don't. They don't have a. They, they don't have a four, and they don't have a point guard that's effective. Like that's the biggest thing. Keon Brooks isn't a, isn't the four man that they need. Uh, no, none of the friend like Damian Collins isn't ready to play that role. Um, I don't think Bryce Hopkins is ready to play that role. Jacob Toppin's not that guy. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but that's not good enough at Kentucky. That's no, not- I know. And and then you combine all that with the fact that you have a point guard that can't shoot. Like it just it, this roster just does not work. And um, I think my biggest issue with this program and where it is right now, and and I was kind of trying to needle you guys on on Saturday night about this, is that I don't think Cal- Coach Cal is a very good X's and O's coach. I've made this point before, and you guys have heard me say this. He's not like. He's not a basketball junkie. He's not one of these guys that comes home from from uh, like practice and puts on games on TV and just sits there and watches games all night, right? Like that's not who he is. Uh, so I don't think he has any new and creative ideas. The people have kind of figured out what he wants to do, and and that's fine when you have the best players in college basketball. You don't have the best players right now, so you got to get creative in what you're going to do to be able to kind of accentuate the strengths of the guys that you have on your roster. And he's not doing that, right? And yep. he's got a staff full of guys that are on there because of their ability to get talent in the program. But those guys aren't getting the kind of talent that you need to be able to win a national title. Now, uh, that could end up being different next year because they got this, this loaded recruiting class coming in. But it's right now, it's they don't, they're not putting their guys in the best position to succeed, I don't think. Well, I made this point the other day, and I'm curious to hear what you say about it, Rob. I, but Fanta, I think you, you know where I'm going to go with this. Like with all these transfers, and the way the transfer portal is gone right now, they can get you from the bottom of the leagues. If you're in a power six league, notice I said power six, not t- power five. If you're going from the bottom and you're trying to get to the middle, <laughs> transfers can get you there. 
if you're in the middle and you're trying to get to the top, it's got to be your uber talented freshman. Or it's got to be a team that's already loaded with talent, a la Arizona. Right? So, like, I, I just feel like, and Goodman's made this point a lot, like Kentucky, like they have a lot of very good college players. They're not overly talented. Like Jacob Toppin, he's not Kentucky. Davion Mintz is not Kentucky. And I hate to even single these guys out, but, like, they, they're just not. And, you know, Severe Wheeler, he could be a spark plug for you. Is he Kentucky? He's not John Wall. Like, that's the kind of guys that we're comparing these players to. And those are the kind of guys that Cal's done a nice job with. Like, so you have to – if if you're going to be Kentucky and you're going to continue doing what you've been doing, you better have the most talented players on the floor because they're doing nothing different. Zero. Yeah, I, I just – I don't think that you can have – uh, I mean, let's call it what it is. They have three guys basically that they're playing that aren't, you, you don't really have to guard out to the three point line. And this was yeah. supposed to be a team that can shoot. You don't have yeah. to guard Oscar Sheway outside of five feet away from the rim, right? You don't have to guard Severe Wheeler. We, we saw Notre Dame not guard Severe Wheeler outside of the foul line area, right? Keon Brooks is shooting 23% from three. And yeah, he's not a Kentucky player either. I, I, like, me, like, you have a lot of guys on this roster that would be great as the fourth man or the fifth man on, on a Kentucky team. They're not. They're not. They're not putting Ty Ty Washington in a place where he can be that guy. I think he, he like down the road he could probably get there this season. Right now he's not that guy. They're not putting him in a position to be this guy because they don't have the talent around him. Um, Oscar Sheway's a monster, right? Like he's good enough to do whatever you want for Kentucky. But they don't have the shoot. It's, it's just everything about this roster is a weird fit, and I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know. It's frustrating to watch them play. I, I also think like Ty Ty Washington, if he went somewhere like Oklahoma and played for Porter Moser, like somebody that's going to orchestrate a little bit more or manufacture a little bit more. I think his best thing about him is he's really good against closeouts. He's really good against reading the defense and then making decisions. He's not one of these guys that like, like just blow past the defense and then you force somebody to force actions. I'm not sure that's him. And he's not, an overly physical guard or overly athletic guard like they've had in the past. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a limited team and a limited roster. And I think that we might've overvalued them a little bit coming into this season. I I mean, look, it's kind of the same thing as as what we talked about with Villanova, right? Look at that roster and tell me who is the game breaking pro and the game breaking talent on that team. If it ain't Ty Ty Washington, who you got. And if it's, if you're relying on just big sheep to go out there and do big sheep things, you can only get so far with a big guy that is not going to uh, step out and make threes. Yeah, and then you're playing twos against threes. Yep. That's what's happened in today's games. Nothing's changed. Like, it's the game has changed over the past seven years. It changed 12 years ago in the NBA. It's changed five years ago in college because everything trickles down. It just takes some time. It takes some time. All right, well, listen, guys, this has been fun. We've been here for an hour. I'm going to let you guys each have one closing take. Fanta, I'm going to you first. It's uh, What do we call this, the Miller time closing take? What do you got? Yeah, Miller time closing take. Hmm, Miller time closing take. Uh, I'll tell you what, Hartford, XL Center, Saturday, 5 Eastern time. Connecticut, the state and the city of Hartford is going to be on fire on Saturday when 10-1 Providence takes the short trip to UConn to meet the Huskies in Hartford. Sounds like that Tyrese Martin will be back. Uh, we'll see about Adama Sonogo. The Huskies bouncing back against St. Bonaventure on Saturday. Dan Hurley and UConn and UConn fans have been waiting for this game because they didn't get a chance to fill the stands last year. It's UConn's first Big East game with fans since 2013. This is going to be an event Providence is a surprise team in the Big East at 10-1 and one on the season. Ed Cooley's done a terrific job. I'm interested to see Nate Watson in the paint against UConn's bigs. I'm interested to see Al Durham, the Indiana grad transfer, who's really been good for the Friars, go up against R.J. Cole. I think it's a great matchup of Southpaw guards. Providence-UConn, great rivalry. Ed Cooley and Dan Hurley coached against each other for PC and URI. The two schools do not like each other at all. This is a great job by the Big East to schedule these two teams in a league opener. The game is on Fox on Saturday at 5 Eastern time. High-level matchup between the Friars and the Huskies. And I think UConn is going to be crazy 
for this game. Crazy. Yeah, it's an underrated uh, underrated level of hatred in in, in matchup between uh, between those two programs. Tio, what you got? Give me a part. I think it. Seton Hall wins the Big East. I feel like I've already explained that. That's one. And then this Saturday, I'm really looking forward to UCLA against North Carolina. And I don't know where it's at. I know it's a neutral site game. You help me out with that. It's Vegas. Vegas. It's Vegas. And it, man, Vegas is Vegas, yeah, Vegas has had some great games this year. But goodness, I, I'm excited to see who can force the tempo uh, because UCLA obviously wants to play in the 60s while Carolina wants to play in the 150s. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, those games go. I think this could be a game for Carolina to really show that they can guard. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. this If, if they go and beat UCLA closer to that coast than this coast, I think Carolina puts some teams on notice. I, I 100% agree. Uh, I'm still in on uh, this North Carolina team. I'm going to end you with this parting thought. Iowa State, third best team in the Big 12. Goes Baylor and Kansas, and then I'm going with Iowa State. The way that they can defend, the way they force turnovers, I'm buying them. Your boy Tyrese Hunter, T.O., he's good. He's when very good. Him, he's very good. That's, that's a really hot take. When, when you 20-piece when you a rival – the way that they 20 pieced Iowa, I think that that says a lot. But listen, we've been here for an hour. This has been fun. This has been the DTF podcast, the Doster TO and Fanta podcast. We like to keep it, uh, keep it, you know, PG here. There you go. But for Terrence Holt, uh, for John Baker, my name is Rock Doster. We'll see you guys again next month.